Welcome to the Solid Rock Health and Fitness Podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to educate our listeners on best practices in the health and fitness industry. We'll have on health professionals to provide insights on best practices, along with some of our very own members who've excelled in making fitness a priority in their life. If you enjoyed today's episode, it would mean the absolute world to me if you liked, commented, and shared our content so we can help more people look good, move well, and feel great. Welcome back to the Solid Rock Health and Fitness Podcast. Today, I am joined by Miss Amanda, who is a doctor of physical therapy. She is also a pelvic floor specialist. So I'm super excited about the topic today, and she's going to educate us on exactly what she does and how this could directly impact you. So without further ado, Miss Amanda, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and uh, how you got into becoming a physical therapist in the first place, that would be awesome. Sure, Derek. Okay, so thanks, first of all, for having me on. I really appreciate you guys inviting me to be here. Um, So I'm born and raised in Norman, went to uh, Norman North, and I I became a physical therapist because I was a massage therapist for a long time. That was like my my training I went through after college when I was like, I want to do something fun. It'll be good to have a trade. Who knows if I'll have lags in my career. So it was never really like my primary career plan to do massage, but then I realized I just loved it. And then I realized um, I wanted something a little bit more problem solving and and to be able to help my clients on a deeper level. So um, that's why I became interested in physical therapy. And then specifically for pelvic floor, um, when I was taking prereqs and looking at, you know, trying to get into PT school, I had a friend who was... um, in physical therapy getting treated for having pain when uh, when she would have orgasms. And she was like, I know it's really weird. I'm in PT for this. Do you want to come? I feel like you would be interested in this. Yeah. Do you want to attend a session with me? So I, um, she was nice enough to invite me to attend a PT session. Um, it was with Emily Swafford at OU Physicians in Oklahoma City. She's an awesome PT that I then later got to like have a clinical rotation with. Um, And I learned so much from her, but uh, that first session that I witnessed, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I thought pelvic floor PT was incredible because it was applying all of the same concepts of like body mechanics and physiology and, um, you know, exercise science and all all of that stuff that can be really interesting um, to an area of the body that I think most of us kind of um, compartmentalize or just ignore. Um, or think it's only for, you know, the bedroom or whatever. Like, yeah. we don't think of it as part of our daily lived experience sometimes, the pelvic area. And um, so I just was really um, interested in pelvic floor PT from the moment I saw it because I, I wanted to be a healthcare practitioner for people's, like, I wanted to be that person that could help people with something really private in a very professional and efficient uh, and compassionate way. That's awesome. And yeah. how long have you been practicing physical therapy for? I graduated from PT school in 2017. Okay. So it's I'm like, I don't know, five years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, five years. That's awesome. And, and for those that in our audience that don't know what like pelvic floor health is, could you just explain that in layman's terms for us? For sure. So um, the pelvic floor is a region of musculature and all the things that come with muscles, nerves and skeletal um, regions 
But anyways, it's a region of the body that's basically where the genitals are. And um, the pelvic floor muscles, um, they control peeing, pooping, and sex. So sometimes when people have issues like urinary incontinence, incomplete emptying of the bladder. Sorry to stop. Urinary incontinence would be like leaking. Just yes. like, so like jumping rope. Yes. So women tell me all the time, they're like, Coach D, I got to go to the bathroom. Like we can't do jump roping anymore. That would be that. Yes. Okay, cool. Yep. Just make sure I'm tracking. You're tracking so great. So yeah, leaking urine. Sometimes people leak poop too. That's actually really common uh, in women that have had a third or fourth degree, like a severe tear to their perineum um, when they're going through childbirth. So anyways, leaking, pee or poop. Um, so also if people have pain with sex, men and women, usually women, but sometimes men will have pain with sex or just with orgasm. Um, and then constipation, um, uh, sometimes people, yeah, have fecal incontinence, like I said. So basically, those are the main issues that sometimes they have some other medical thing where you need to go to a colorectal specialist, maybe you need surgery or something. But a lot of the times, those issues can be treated with physical therapy. Okay. And that's, so that's what pelvic floor physical therapy is. We treat the muscles, the skeletal system, and the nervous system. We specialize in knowing how those systems of our body work, and we apply that general skill set of a PT to this pelvic floor region. Okay. Yeah. And y'all just do, like, specific strengthening exercises to essentially, like, heal and strengthen the pelvic floor? Yes, exactly. Okay. Like, regardless of somebody's issue, the main things on my mind when they first come in are, like, are they just weak? Are they mainly really, really tight? Are they a combination of the two? Um, you know, is it a strength issue, an endurance issue, a coordination issue? So kind of all the same issues that, all the same questions that maybe your PT would be thinking about if you went in because you had pain in your knee. Except for we're just thinking about those issues relative to the yeah. genital area. 100%. And is there a specific demographic of person um, that ha that you see the most that has like more pelvic floor issues? Is it like, for example, is it mainly women who've had three children, two children, a certain age? Like, who's the vast majority of people that you see? That is such a great question. I think people usually assume it's just moms, and it is a lot of moms. But I think part of that um, is that there's not awareness on the individual level or on the medical system level of the utility of pelvic floor physical therapy for people of all ages in both you know, both genders, or I should say any gender. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so there's actually a good number of men who could benefit from pelvic floor PT, young and old. Um, so um, sometimes older men who have prostate cancer and then have surgery for that um, will have urinary incontinence and erectile dysfunction after, and that's something pelvic floor physical therapy can help with. Young men might have um, issues let me know if I'm getting too graphic. No, you're good. Go but for it. Young men might have issues with um, their erections not like being very functional. Yeah. Um, pelvic floor PT can help with that. So, um, you know, people think it's just moms, and it is moms, but it's also, let's say, young women, let's say like um, a young lady who's a gymnast might be having some urinary incontinence. Um, or younger ladies or middle-aged ladies who've never have kids might have incontinence, prolapse, constipation, something like that. Maybe they 
do CrossFit and have a combination of constipation and urinary incontinence, leaking urine, and um, it's because their pelvic floor is really tight and it's not like coordinated with their movement, you know? Okay. So it does. So you just mentioned a couple things. My wife was actually a college gymnast. Um, so there's a lot of things I know about gymnasts from her just telling me about it, but gymnastics is a very like intense sport. And a lot of like girls don't even get their first period until way later on because oh, they're going sure. like so intense and training so hard. And then CrossFit is a very intense sport. So like really high level athletes and people who are training really hard, is that like a common, um, because they do that, do they usually have pelvic floor issues because of that? Yeah. Um, I, I feel like a little cautious about saying like, because you're training so yeah. hard, your pelvic floor. Um, but yeah, it's probably a piece Leads of the puzzle. It. Yeah. yeah. It's probably correlated in some way along with many other factors. You know, I think, like I was saying before, we all like culturally, we just kind of ignore or compartmentalize this area of our body. And I wish it was kind of, I wish like I have a four-year-old and I wish she was like learning how to do healthy straining for BMs in school. I wish that was just like a part, cause it's like a part of being human, right? Yeah. So um, anyways, that's just to say that people that are training really hard, like gymnasts, um, maybe if they're not being taught how to coordinate their pelvic floor and they're only being taught like, um, stuff about their abs and their glutes and their low back the pelvic floor is like this missing piece and with hard training often there's certain um like with lifting there's certain like breath patterns breath holding patterns that people will utilize to be able to lift heavier um with gymnastics i don't know as much about that because i haven't yeah. personally done gymnastics but um people develop like coordination deficits like their pelvic floor is just like this missing piece of their core um coordination could you explain some like like something you would do uh in pt like a breathing exercise to actually activate and engage the pelvic floor mm-hmm, for sure it's like coach me through something coach yeah. put me in okay awesome so if i was just gonna be like okay derek we're gonna do an external assessment of your pelvic floor see if you're like using it in a way that's coordinated and helpful um I would want to see first, when you breathe, are you allowing that breath to transfer all the way down into your pelvis? So that's kind of the first thing I want to look at. Sometimes people, especially people that train really hard, um, will have some like overactivation, like kind of like an elevated resting tone in their abs, mm -hmm. let's say. Um, so they'll kind of like, one common pattern is like you kind of grip your upper abs. And then um, that kind of, doesn't let the breath kind of translate all the way down into the pelvic floor. So that's one thing I'd be looking at. I'd ask you to take some really deep breaths, and I would, um, it, with your permission, yeah. you know, palpate externally, just like find your sits bone, like the bony spot that you feel when you sit, and just have my hand just medial to that, just mm -hmm. like closer into that, and ask you to breathe, and just see if I can feel your tissue kind of like, it's probably like half a centimeter. It's very subtle, but okay. just like shifting down towards your feet when you breathe. Yeah. If you were doing a great job of that, I'd be like, awesome. Let's see how your strength is. And I'd ask you to do a Kegel and I'd see if when you um, did, so Kegel is just another word for pelvic floor contraction. I use those terms like interchangeably. Yeah. And you can say Kegel or Kegel. I don't know. Mm -hmm. there, I don't think there's a right way. But anyway, so I'd ask you to contract your pelvic floor. Uh, if you were confused about that, I'd say, you know, maybe try to use the muscles that you use when you're trying to stop the flow of urine. Um, and I 
and see if A, you develop some tension there, and B, um, if your abs are also developing tension at the same time, because we kind of want our abs and our, like our deep abs, our transversus abdominis, yeah. and our pelvic floor to co-activate ideally. And then C, I'd also want to see, um, are you even, are you like squeezing and maybe even lifting up towards your head? So especially for women, but also for men, women can get like pelvic organ prolapse. Men can get hernias and men get diastasis recti. So men get also anyways. And so with those things, we want to really make sure that we're able to use the pelvic floor to not just squeeze in, but also lift up because the pelvic floor has this role of tacking the organs in place. Yeah. Um, that can be really helpful for fitness. And when you talk about hernias, you talk more umbilical or just hernia in general? In, yeah. So there's all different kinds of hernias, and okay. women can get them too. Um, so men and women can get umbilical, which is like out your belly button, um, hiatal, which is like at, at the crux of your ribs in the front, um, and inguinal, which is you know kind of like sometimes called a sp- sports hernia. Um, those are more common for men. Um, and, and sometimes do, other do places. Do those I usually show up like in the groin area? Yes, the inguinal okay. the groin one. Mm-hmm. Is there like, is that like probably the least serious or the most serious? Or is there like a severe? I wouldn't there... say that there's like a region that's associated with more serious. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of more like how, how advanced is your hernia? Yeah. Um, and does, for our audience, if you could unpack what diastasis recti is, um, as well as like, what causes it? That would be sure. awesome. Yeah. So diastasis recti, um, people call it DR or DRA, diastasis rectus abdominis, um, or just diastasis. So if you've ever heard any of those terms, they all are pointing at the same thing. Um, that's something that happens mainly to women, but it can also happen to men, usually older men that are getting a little bit of a paunch, a little bit of a belly. Um, it can happen too. So both genders. Can I interrupt you really yes, quick? Yes, please. So let's talk about that. So like getting a belly. I, I've heard, um, correct me if I'm wrong, that people that are more overweight are more likely to get a hernia or something like that. Is that For correct? Sure. I believe so. Because okay. um, hernia, prolapse, diastasis, all of these things at their heart have to do with how is pressure moving through your chest and your abdomen and your pelvis. And so, because whenever we're breathing, that system is a pressure system. And the flow of breath um, is affected by how are we holding ourselves in our chest, our belly, and our pelvis. So, anyways, um, I think I lost what your question was. But basically, all of those things are under the umbrella of pressure management. And okay. So, yeah. so, what is DR exactly? Like, what causes it? Yeah. So DR is when you have a splitting at the linea alba of the um, rectus abdominis. Okay. I say splitting, and I wish I'd said a different word, because that's a little bit of a, like, ooh, kind of scary sounding what, word. What word are you looking for? Stretching, Stretching, probably, or just a change in the connective tissue structure there. And I've heard there's a gap there, correct? Yes, so like the, a gap would be a stretching creates way a gap. Like, it. what's a, what would be a large enough gap that you would say, okay, I have an issue here. I probably need to get this checked out. The clinical definition is one and a half finger widths. Okay. And I always tell my clients, I'm like, look at my fingers. They're tiny. One and a half of my fingers is probably two of somebody else's. Or, sorry, 
two of my fingers are probably one and a half of somebody else's. And so where would you put those silly. two fingers to check to see if I have DR going on? Yes. So if we were checking you, I'd have you lay on your back. Um, first, I'd just have you lay still, and I'd kind of um, I'd press along the midline of your abdomen and just kind of translate my pressure left to right and work kind of all the way up and down that line. You want to check at the belly button and then also above the belly button and below. And then I'd ask you to do a crunch, and I would do the same thing. Okay. Because we want to see how is that connective tissue of the linea alba when you're at rest, and how is it when you're engaging your abs. So if someone had more than a finger width and a half separation there, like what would be their next step? Like what do they need to do to fix that? That's a great question. So the first thing I want to figure out when somebody comes in and has diastasis and that's what they're wanting to do is I want to know what, what do they want to get to? Like what's their fitness that they want to be able to do without diastasis symptoms? And then we figure out um, what is their current functional limit of being asymptomatic. So um, let's say that their symptom is that um, when they're doing like pull-up type work, like when they're, do you guys do yep. stuff like that? Yep. Okay, perfect. So like, let's say when they go to do like a hang, um, much less like anything further than that, they get some like coning or doming at their midline. So the coning's where it just like sticks up in one particular spot. And then like doming is where it's kind of like more regional, like this okay. big area kind yeah. of like makes a dome. Um, so, or sometimes the symptom is just like, I can feel that my abs are not working for me, you know, and maybe they don't notice the coning or doming. Yeah. Um, so we would, so let's say we want to get that person to where they can like do some pull-up type work without coning or doming. Well, first we'd start just like laying down on their back and figure out like, are they able to do some kind of Pilates type exercises on the floor without symptoms? Yeah. You know, are they able to maybe put both legs in the air and then slowly lower them without symptoms? Or is that bringing up coning or doming? So then we just kind of progressively regress and figure out what level of like quote unquote core training are they able to do with good control and then gradually progress that. A lot of it has to do with being able to activate that deep transversus abdominis. But sometimes it gets more complex than that. Like sometimes people will have, um, you know, asymmetrical patterns. Like let's say their right external oblique is just really fired and they're just yeah. kind of like hanging out, like rotated to the left because that external oblique or whatever. You know, everybody's body's a little different. But basically it has to do with um, learning to have core control specifically ab control, but really the abs work in synchrony with the pelvic floor, the deep back muscles, the glutes, and the superficial back muscles, um, yeah. and the diaphragm. So you want to think about the whole system and train that whole system to orchestrate it its real, itself really well at higher and higher levels of difficulty. Something that I see uh, in the gym, I'll see like the coning or doming when someone's laying on their back or they're performing a core exercises or something like that. I often see people like not regress if they're like, oh, I just need to train harder if I want to develop my abs or something more like that. Is that something you commonly yes. see in the clinic? Yes. And I just love talking to people in the fitness community that are kind of aware of that and encouraging people to like take pride in regressing well. Yeah. Because um, I think that's so important, and that's usually a conversation I have with my clients who have prolapse or diastasis recti as part of their concern. Um, it's so 
important to, um, I don't know, in the yoga community, we call it like keeping your eyes on your own mat, <laughs> you yeah. know, and uh, I think worrying about anyone else. Yeah, just like yeah. stay, uh, like stay focused on your personal best. Um, and I love group fitness classes, but I definitely in group fitness classes will be like, ooh, that person's doing this. I want to do that. Let me we, try we all, it. We Let me all push do myself it. To yeah. That. yeah. I mean, I even own the gym, and when I come to work out and I see uh, Sally or Billy Bob down there doing something, I'm like, oh, man, I got to go a little bit harder, you know? I know. Yeah. And, like, a little bit of that is great. Like, yeah. healthy competition you. and pushing yourself a little bit. Like, there's, there's not anything inherently wrong with that. But what becomes wrong is when we're like, oh, I'm weak. I have this problem. I just need to push through it. And usually, um, if we just push through it, it does kind of get worse, you know? Yeah. Um, so we usually do need to um, learn. Like, part of what I do as a physical therapist with people is I want to teach them how to figure out regressions on their own. Because I think that's a pretty sophisticated exercise skill set yeah um it's both like practically sophisticated in that somebody has to know like okay if they're asking me to raise both legs and then lower them what practically would I do to make that easier so I'm thinking like lower one leg only go part of the way down um uh you know just like various things that you can do to make the load a little bit less so they need to know that practical skill set, but there's also kind of like an emotional, psychological part of it, which is like, you know what? I'm so proud of myself for showing up today. I'm proud of myself for like practicing my sport or my fitness on this deeper level where I'm like really taking care of myself and like having really practical humility that makes this going to make me stronger in the long run. Yeah. You know, a hundred percent. Uh, I tell people all the time, you got to check your ego and just focus on yourself. Yeah. And I also say fitness is a lifelong journey and you never arrive. So if you're going as hard as you can all the time, not slowing it down and building a good, strong foundation, because like what we mainly do is strength training, um, you're going to get frustrated. You're not going to get the results you want. Your body's going to be in pain. You're going to have aches and pains for the rest of your life. Whereas if you slow things down, you focus on your form, you focus on breathing um, and progressing accordingly your results are going to be phenomenal. And you're going to continue to get way fitter in the long run versus just going as hard as you can all the time. Totally. And all of us, unfortunately slash fortunately, are aging. So like what we could do in our 20s um, or what we could do before we had kids, you know, or what we could do before we had X, Y, and Z surgery or, you know, is going to be different. And that's okay and that's normal, you know, and like it's yeah. – um, we have to also – we have to like not compare ourselves to other people – too much and also not compare ourselves to our past self you know like because yeah. sometimes I'll be like well man when I was 25 I could do this and that and I'm like well since then I've had a child and I've you know written a lot of papers and whatever Abs <laughs> so you absolutely. know things are different now Miss Amanda is there anything uh with regards to pelvic floor that we missed or you think is really important for our audience to know so um I think for the fitness community, the main things I usually treat are, you know, like prolapse, uh, which we didn't talk a whole lot about, so we okay. can talk some more yeah. about that. Yeah, educate, educate me. Um, Tell me all about it. Yeah. So uh, guys don't usually know as much about prolapse, cause it's, and, and women too, because A, we don't talk about it enough, so women don't know that much about it, and B, guys don't really 
guys don't have vaginas, so yeah. <laughs> you don't have to think about it. But a prolapse is like a hernia inside your vagina. And so it's really common after childbirth. Um, and also if somebody maybe has been really constipated and done a lot of straining with bowel movements um, or just maybe done a lot of had a manual labor job or been doing a lot of heavy lifting for their exercise and maybe had some poor mechanics. So essentially a hemorrhoid? So or not, re- or not really? Not really. Okay. Um, but in the same family, a, a pressure management problem. Because I think of like pressure causing issues. Yeah. Yes. You're totally like, your brain's totally going the right direction. Okay. A hemorrhoid is technically like a dysfunctional uh, vein valve leading to like a vein kind of... Uh, getting distorted yeah. around your anus and this is like uh, so a pelvic organ prolapse is where uh, your urethra bladder uterus or rectum um, will the ligaments that are tacking that organ up to the abdominal or the back wall yeah um, just like there's rigging on a ship that like on an old school ship that like pulls the sails into place so um, just like if you let that rope go on a sail and the sail kind of like wilts and isn't positioned correctly, yeah. that can happen with our organs. If the ligaments get overstretched, then, um, we, then that organ can kind of herniate or like prolapse into the vaginal canal. Okay. And so it's sometimes associated um, with like urinary incontinence and complete emptying of the bladder constipation kind of depends on which organ it's affecting or pain with pain with sex any of those things and so um a lot of the things we do to treat prolapse are similar to the things we do to treat diastasis um, because again it's kind of like a pressure management type problem and so we want to get the whole core system coordinated really well meaning abs back glutes breathing muscles, pelvic floor muscles, all of that whole system. We want to get it to where it can do harder and harder functional fitness stuff um, without symptoms getting worse. Yeah. So you mentioned childbearing. So like lifting heavy and straining could cause that as well, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Like we always think like, oh, pelvic floor PT has to do with women having kids. But there's other factors in everybody's life that can cause the same kind of issues. And when people usually have pelvic floor issues, does that directly uh, link to, like, low back pain? For sure. They're really correlated. So, like, me, myself, personally, I have left hip impingement and left sacroiliac joint issues. And I used to, like, cycle for transportation, and I got hit by a car. So it probably started then, but who knows, you know? And I found that when I was going to conventional PT, I just wasn't getting 100% better. Um, And I was working with, like, amazing PTs. And for me, the pelvic floor, treating my pelvic floor was, like, a missing piece. And after I start, I was like, duh, Amanda, be your own PT or get another PT that's pelvic floor specialist and do that stuff you tell all your clients. And then my back started getting better. So I think that's, well, I know that's the case for a lot of people that are getting treated for low back and hip pain. Maybe a little less so for like neck, shoulder, knee, foot, but also possibly if you have like a wonky thing happening with your left ankle and it's just not getting better, sometimes pelvic floor PT could be the missing piece because the pelvis is kind of the hinge point of the whole body. So if we have this blank spot on the map that's not getting treated or considered and you've tried everything else, like it probably is some fundamental coordination deficit that has to do with something happening in your pelvic floor. Yeah. Often. 
that's wild to think like ankle pain, but it makes sense because yeah, the pelvis connects the lower part and the upper part. So if you don't yeah. have a, if you don't have a healthy pelvis, then something on the chain is going to give. Something's exactly. got to give. Exactly. If you think about like the kinetic chain, whenever we're doing anything with a limb planted, so if we're doing push-ups, that involves the arms, kinetic chain stuff, and if we're doing anything standing uh, or with our feet planted or knees planted, that involves the lower leg, like the leg kinetic chain. And we want to think about like how are all those joints in sequence coordinating together. Yeah. The number one thing I see in the gym is mainly with females is we'll talk about a push-up since you met, mentioned it. They're in that push-up position and uh, they start to get that sway in their low yes. back, that hyperextension of the low back. Yes. Um, and they lower into the push-up. Then they begin to push up and then they arch and they yes. just that low back hyperextends and they're not able to brace by pulling the rib cage towards their pelvis and bracing those deep abdominal muscles. Um, that would be the number one thing I definitely see in the gym. What's like one way you could treat that? What's a simple thing like you would say, like what's the next step I need to do to solve this problem? Is it come see you? Is there something I could do at home to maybe help with this? Uh, what would you recommend to someone that has that issue? Yes. Okay. So if somebody's just going to try to kind of self-treat and work their way up, I would say, okay, if you're full uh, feet planted, like, you know, ball of your foot planted um, push-up is following that pattern you described. Try modifying it. Try going on your knees. See if you can have better control. You should be able to put like a dowel rod or say a yoga block or something on your back and not have it like be like falling off. Yeah. Um, so your pelvis should stay locked in place. Your low back should stay locked in place. I don't ascribe to the idea that you have to flatten your low back. I think that's a little excessive and a little old school. But we want to use, we want to, like, if you can't do a modified push-up without the sway back, then you probably want to get to laying on your back, figuring out how to engage your transversus abdominis. So that's the, like, a lot of people only know how to do crunchy stuff. Mm-hmm. So they only know how to do crunches and um, rotational movements, and they don't know how to hold still and activate their abs. So that's what I mean when I say transversus abdominis activation is like, can you lay down, your ribs and your pelvis don't move, and your belly button goes in towards your spine and maybe up towards your head. That's a transversus abdominis engagement or like a draw-in maneuver, they call it. Yep. So you need to know how to do that and then how to do that and sustain that while you're doing a push-up. And so if you can't do it in a modified push-up, you might try doing it against the wall. If you can't do it against the wall and use that transversus abdominis engagement to avoid the sway back, then you might want to go laying down. Yeah. So again, so it's say, just like when you say using the wall, just elevating your hands, like you could use like a bench or a rack or something you like that. You could use a bench or a rack or literally the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Like bench or rack would be a little bit harder, I think, than... Yeah, because you're more you're more upright. Yeah. yeah, but those would be great. I love those ideas because yes, that would be. A, we want to be able to like break it down to the smallest possible regression because we always want to be working as hard as possible, but not too hard. You yeah, know, that sweet spot. Now, was that like this was the number one thing I wanted to talk about today because it's the biggest issue that I see is people don't know how to engage those deep abdominal muscles, do that draw and maneuver like you talked about. So I think that's extremely important for our audience. If you're struggling with that swayed back, low back pain, make sure you guys are regressing accordingly. And like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast is kind of like just checking your ego, being being willing to slow down and build that firm foundation um, so you can progress accordingly. 
And if you do want additional help, I'm sure Miss Amanda would love to help and point you uh, in the right direction. So is there anything else that we didn't cover that you think would be helpful for our audience? Um, we could talk about urinary incontinence, but I think we've talked about it a little bit. Okay. Um, so, and I just realized I never mentioned that my practice is called Pelvic Care Physical okay. Therapy. I'm located in Brookhaven Village inside of Space Yoga Studio. And um, if anybody wants to reach out directly to me, um, I'm happy to help you find a PT, whether it's me or another pelvic floor PT, because I know it can be hard to find a pelvic floor PT and to even know when that's necessary. Um, so I'm just always, I offer free 15-minute phone consults to anybody. Um, that's awesome. To just help them, even if you don't end up being my client, it's like, that's why I went into business for myself, so I could just like be an access point for people and have time to do that. Yeah. That's really cool. Where is the best place for people to find you if they want to reach out or book an appointment? Is it social media, website, email? Where can people find you? Yeah. Uh, my phone number is 405-240-9575. That's probably the easiest way is to call or text my business, Pelvic Care Physical Therapy. You can also find me um, I'm on like Instagram at Pelvic Care, on Facebook, Pelvic Care Physical Therapy. Um, my website's www.pelviccare.org. So any of those ways Absolutely. Good. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming yeah. on today. I really appreciate it. Make sure you guys go follow Miss Amanda. And thank you so much for tuning in. If you guys enjoyed today's podcast, if you could just like, share, and comment, that would mean the absolute world to me so we can help more people look good, move well, and feel great.